Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta per social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck, so please join us that join that uh, join that as well if you'd like to engage. Uh, if you like if you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So the topic today is should I rebrand my company? And uh, I think this is probably I think this is probably on people's consciousness because. We've had one of the biggest rebrandings, certainly in my memory, which is uh, the, the company formerly known as Facebook now would like to be known as Meta. Uh, I think that's going to be a tough rebrand until they actually change their platform to something other than Facebook. But uh, they didn't ask me for advice, and what do I know? I'm just a finance guy anyway. Um, but but branding is 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 extremely important. And, and according to Forbes, presenting a brand consistently across all platforms can increase company revenue by 23%. And there's a HubSpot statistic out there that suggests that 86% of consumers prefer an authentic and honest brand personality on social networks. And our guest today, I think, does that, frankly, exceptionally. Um, and according to Facebook, the aforementioned now meta, the top four qualities people use to describe why they are loyal to a brand are cost, quality, experience, and consistency. And, and joining us today, um, and I'm very grateful because I have some idea of how busy she is because I, I suspect we only see on social media the tip of the iceberg. But joining us today is Stephanie Stuckey, who is the third generation CEO of Stuckey's Corporation. Uh, she started her career as a lawyer building her own practice before serving in the Georgia House of Representatives from 1999 through 2013. I did not know that. She and I served on a board together years and years and years ago, and I never knew that she represent that she was in the Georgia House of Representatives. Um, after that, Stephanie became the executive director of Green Law and Environmentally Focused Law Resource Center. In 2015, she was appointed the City of Atlanta's Director of Sustainability and then to the position of Chief Resilience Officer. Uh, which is something near and dear to my heart. Uh, she's a Georgia Bulldog, having earned a degree in French, just like I did as an undergraduate, and then earning her law degree there as well, too. I'm deeply disappointed that um, that Cincinnati did not beat Alabama, nothing against Alabama, but since we have an office in Dayton, it would have been really cool to have a Cincinnati UGA college football championship, but there you have it. 
Stuckey's was founded by W.S. Sylvester Stuckey Sr. as a pecan stand along Highway 1 in Eastman, Georgia in 1937. Through hard work and grit, Stuckey's grew into a roadside empire that numbered over 300 stores in the 1970s with the familiar teal-sloped roof and refresh, sorry, refresh, relax, refuel billboards dotting the nation's highways. The stores fell out of family hands for decades but were reacquired by Billy Stuckey, son of the founder and former U.S. congressman. In 1980, I'm sorry, 1985. Stephanie took over in November of 2019 after a career in public service that we already discussed. And under Stephanie's leadership, Stuckey's has undergone a rebranding, added three new franchise stores, expanded B2B, uh, the B2B retail customer base, and ramped up its online sales with a brand new website. Stephanie Stuckey, thank you for joining the program. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing intro. I didn't know Facebook was switching to meta. I, well, with, you've been busy doing other stuff. That's crazy. They should they should consult us on that because I have an opinion. <laughs> well, that's good. We like people on the show who have opinions. Otherwise, it's a very boring show. But yeah, they... Um, yeah, they uh, they've they've decided to really jump into this thing that 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 some people are calling the metaverse, others are calling Web 3.0. I'm not sure what that means, but yeah, they felt that a rebranding was uh, appropriate, so they are in the process of of doing that. But I want to talk yeah. about your rebranding. I want to talk about your rebranding because you're here and Mark Zuckerberg's not. He is he's not probably more interesting anyway. So um, he's not assaulting us. And also, let me just say, good dogs. There, there you go. Um, I, I'm kind of looking forward to us playing Bama. Why is that? I mean, obviously you're playing for the national championship, but Alabama, they've done well against the Bulldogs. Exactly. It's been this psychological block for us at this point. Yep. And I think you really have to conquer the 800-pound girl in the room if you're going to move forward. I don't think that Georgia will feel like true national champs unless we get the championship by beating Bama. I know you didn't have me on the on the show to talk football, but take well, look, you, you can't away. <laughs> you can't avoid it in Georgia, especially this time of year. Right now. Yeah, and, and I think what you you know, I'll go ahead and continue that. We'll we'll go off script. That's <laughs> fine. I mean, it's it's our show. It's the internet. Like what the heck? So. Football too. That's a big brand. Uh, it certainly big is. Brand. There's you lots know, of. I uh, I grew up in in Boston, so I've been a lifelong Red Sox fan. And mm-hmm. if you follow baseball, if you followed it for any amount of time, they had something called the Curse of the Bambino, which which stems yeah. from the Red Sox selling Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees, and they had not exactly. won a World Series since. Right, and they wound up winning the series by a historic comeback over the Yankees, which wasn't even possible because of the way divisions were aligned for so, for so long. But it was only after beating the Yankees that they then broke through and won the world series. And they've won, they've won three cents. And uh, I think there's something to what you said. I think the only way the Red Sox could really win the world series was to drive a stake through the heart of the vampire New York exactly. Yankee. Any other way, just God wasn't going to allow that to happen. <laughs> and, since we're talking branding, there are so many great branding lessons to learn from sports. And especially that whole comeback idea. To me, the greatest story ever told is the comeback. And you see that quite often in sports, not only in real life, but some of the best movies that we love, like Rocky, they're all about a comeback. 
And so that translates into business as well. People love to root for the underdog. They want to see the underdog come out on top and win. I think coming into this national championship, Georgia is the underdog because we have consistently been whooped by Bama. So I would like to think there's a lot of people out there who aren't really don't haven't been following any either one of these teams, but they're going to root for the Bulldogs because we're the underdog. So that yeah. translates to Stuckies. We're an underdog. I think that's right. I think, and there is a comeback story there, isn't it? Absolutely. We are a comeback brand. I like to say that all the time, not only because it's true, but psychologically, we want to see people come from all sorts of adversity and persevere, come out on top. So, yeah. And, and I, and frankly, I think that's why I reached out to you because I, you know, I do follow you on social media. You do a fantastic job of transmitting your story on social media. I, again, finance guy, what do I know? But I do think that it, I do think it's helping your brand. I do, I do think it's bringing your brand into a sense of awareness to the younger generations, yeah. um, right? Cause they're not watching billboards and it happened. Don't even drive anymore. Right. So, um, I know and, it's crazy. So many don't drive. Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's you know the, the 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 new world out there, right? So, you know, I, I've been fascinated to kind of watch your brand, and 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 interestingly, you know, I followed. I think you know that uh, my wife, who does e-commerce for a long time, mm-hmm. she carried Stucky's Pecan Logs That's as right. a flagship brand in her e-commerce site, and really yeah, only stopped really because Amazon really only stopped because Amazon made the rules for selling food just so draconian that she couldn't. As a small business person, it just wasn't worth it anymore, unfortunately. But they're a great seller for her. So I've been following the brand, actually, so from afar for, for quite some time and, and in a way was sort of invested in it. Um, tell us at a high level, we'll get into the details of the rebranding, but tell us at a high level kind of, you walk in at 2019, and I want to hear about the origin story, but before you even hear about how you got there, what did you walk into? November 2019, you walk into Stuckey's, you take the CEO's office or wherever you worked. What did you walk into? The office was a rundown double Y trailer that we were renting. Okay. Swear to God. All right. Keep going. So if I did not have the last name Stuckey, I not only would not have bought the company, I would have run screaming from the prospect of buying the company. <laughs> So I, I bought a struggling business. What I bought was a trademark, which I think was the most valuable thing I purchased and a rented warehouse in Eastman, Georgia with a lot of dead inventory that hadn't moved in years. And I knew nothing about business. I knew something about budgets having worked in government which you may or may not think is valuable budgeting lessons, but oh, I think it's very valuable. <laughs> the one thing the Georgia legislature constitutionally had to accomplish every single session was to pass a balanced budget. So I did know about budgeting. I had to budget running a nonprofit and a law firm, and I had to budget running the office of sustainability for the city of Atlanta. So I understood base level finances. So I did have that understanding, but I had never run a rent warehouse or, Now we're in the manufacturing world. That was all new to me. But I did know innately that if you have inventory that's sitting around for several years, that's not good. You should be having a turn rate of a lot faster than that. So I inherited a lot of 
dead inventory, like Britney Spears t-shirts and ashtrays shaped like toilets that say, put your butts here. We had some John Wayne bobbleheads. We just had all sorts of random shtick. John Wayne bobbleheads. Yeah. Wow. But random, like they were, they were miscounts and slotted wrong. And there were three out of a case of 10. So no store is going to buy three random items. Yeah. And it just, the company had frankly just gone somewhat on autopilot and had a very small skeleton crew. We had two main people running it and they are terrific. We've kept them on. They're fabulous. This is no fault of theirs, but if you don't have financing, if you don't have a structural support, if you don't have all the basics to run a successful company, it doesn't matter how hardworking or smart you are, you can't turn it around. And so we had a a company that had been on autopilot for about a decade. My dad and his business partners had sold off the most profitable part of their business. And we don't need to get into all that, but they owned a profitable profitable business, Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation. And that had largely propped up Stuckey's. And then when they sold Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation and they retired, they left a skeleton crew in charge managing what was left of Stuckey's. And what was left was a rented warehouse that was a dis- is a distribution facility and the trademark. But none of the stores are owned or operated by us. They're not even franchised at this point. They're all licensed. So very little revenue generated from the stores, very little control over the stores. So that revenue is slowly declining and we started losing some accounts. So yeah, it was a, it was a double wide trailer rundown. And I remember I visited the stores and I sat in the parking lot of one store and it looked so bad. It was completely run down. I could not even bring myself to walk in and I started to cry. Now I do cry pretty easily. I cry at Hallmark commercials and okay. college fund ads. I always cry, but yes. I'm, so, I'm an easy crier, but I am in the parking lot crying. And I call my vice president and I said, this is just horrible. <laughs> he didn't skip a beat. He said, welcome to your kingdom. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting response. Welcome to your kingdom. Like this is your roadside mess. So you have to have a sense of humor. You have to laugh and you have to be able to see the potential. And I saw the potential because not only do I have the last name Stucky, but I was around when the business was profitable. When my grandfather was still involved, he had sold the company the year before I was born, but he remained involved on the board of the company that acquired it for some years after he sold. So I, I knew what it could be. I knew it was capable of, and I believed in my heart that we could bring that back. So, we didn't come on to talk about this, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm so curious. I think it will come back to the topic. And that is, what do you remember that your grandfather did with the business that seemed to have stopped going on when he left? What was missing? So I didn't remember anything about him actually running the company directly. I just remember being around the company. Yeah. Well, being around the stores, visiting the stores, because we road trip just like everyone else. What was interesting to me was one of the most important things I acquired when I bought the company was not only the trademark, but his papers. My mother gave me several boxes of his archives Mm. that no one had even touched since the 1960s. It was like opening a time capsule. 
Yeah. So I spent those first couple of months after acquiring the company reading through all his papers every single night. I would just sit down and I'd just start reading and I took notes. And he went from being my grandfather, who I called Big Daddy. He went from being Big Daddy. And I just, I had these warm, fuzzy memories of, of a granddaughter grandfather relationship. Sure. It was not, he was not a businessman to me, but he became Stucky. He became the businessman. I learned about how he ran the company and that made all the difference. Honestly, so much of what I'm doing is following his basic business principles. And he didn't get an MBA. He had to drop out of the University of Georgia because it was during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. But he had a strong understanding of people. He was a gifted salesperson, just naturally gifted. And he really firmly believed in the power of branding. He put 20% of everything he made into branding and marketing, even during the tough times. Interesting. And, the tough times. And, and, so and, and I realized that's what you need to do. You have to brand. And I learned that from him, but not until many, many years later when I got his papers did I learn that. So you bought a virtual memoir, basically, or a vir you bought a virtual mentor, actually, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, if I could only if I could only get some sort of psychic to channel him for me, that would be awesome. But unfortunately, I've got his papers, not him. But I have a feeling somebody's going to listen to this podcast. They're going to come to you and, and ask if they could publish them. Because if they've been that valuable to you, given the progress that you've made with the company, they're going to be valuable to somebody else too. Yeah, it's been fascinating. But the interesting thing, there's not a lot of his personal correspondence. It's mostly interviews and magazine articles, original yep. articles, you know, those, a lot of these are small town papers. They're not really going to exist anywhere else. So it's a lot of hard copies of original firsthand accounts and Mercer university press actually did a self published my, my aunt to her credit, got a lot of first person narratives recorded and published this book called Stucky. I oh. think like five people have read it and they're all family members, but I read that book three times and took notes in the margins and really studied that. It's kind of dry and clunky as far as like reading, but just the material was so helpful to me. So I felt like a archivist. Well, you know, that that's, uh, the, the, I, I got to be careful because I do so, I do so much work with multi-generational businesses. It's such a treasure trove, but I, I want to yeah. get back on topic. Um, the, so from what I'm under, from what I'm in, I'm inferring, and you tell me if I'm wrong, please, because you know you're the expert. I'm not, but it sounds like maybe when you walked in, Stuckey's didn't necessarily have a brand at all, or did it? I mean, would, how would you oh, characterize it? Okay, what was the brand? So that's the great thing. I I firmly believe we. I started on first base or second base, however far along you want to say I am to continue with the sports theme. Yeah, but. There are still a lot of people out there in 2019 when I bought the company, and they're, albeit older, 40s, 50s, 60s, and yeah. up, who road tripped in the 50s, 60s, 70s, early 80s, and remember stopping at Stuckey's. They remember us when we had 368 teal stores with the slope roofs and the zigzag carports and the red and yellow, beautiful, iconic billboards that dotted the nation's highways. They remember that. They remember stopping at our stores and the wonderful memories. And I kid you not, I get easily 
10 or more messages a day from people sharing very personal stories about mm-hmm. our, our business, about their road trips. It's not, well, I say about our business, it's not, it's about them. It's about their families. It's about their road trips and their vacations and their memories and how we are entwined with that. So I tapped into that and I hunkered down on the people who knew us already. And I, I pulled on my experience in politics, which is you go to your base first. Don't go chasing out after these you know, if you're a Democrat, don't go chasing after a bunch of Republican voters. They're probably not going to support you. They, that, those, those aren't your people. And you go after your base, you shore up your base, and then you target those undecideds who could be persuadable. So you figure out, like, who are those people? So for us, our peeps initially were the people who actually remembered the brand. So that was 40 and up, and I was totally okay Focusing on that, I wasn't going to start chasing after millennials right out bat because we needed to get the people who remembered us to know we were still alive. And then you start looking beyond that and you look at what are the things that really define us as a brand, and that's road tripping. And to me, road tripping defies age categorization. It defies sex or ethnicity, anything. I mean, nationality, people all over the world like to road trip. And so I've expanded to talking more about the road trip, but initially it was just drawing on, hey, remember us? We're still around. Here's our story. Let's tell you what happened to us, but we're still here. Where have you been? Come come back. So that so that you know that that's a very interesting, I think, distinction because some some brands rebrand to get away from something or to move to something new, right? The aforementioned Facebook is is trying to get away from the bad reputation they've accumulated over the last couple of years because social media, basically. Um, and, and so they, they, they need a reboot. In yeah. your case, you're going the other way. You're doubling down on what you already had. Yes, exactly. Almost going retro, but I think that's maybe unfair and that sounds old fashioned, but you're definitely doubling down on the base, on the base, as you said. Exactly. And I think where you modernize, or at least for our brand, is how you communicate. What are the mediums that you use? So we started with Facebook because that's where the older demographic is. And then we added LinkedIn has been incredible for us, especially if you're looking in the B2B space, which is how we're growing the brand with more retail partners. Uh, So I did, I started with the obvious, the traditional social media forums and Twitter. Twitter's a little harder. It's kind of sarcastic and has an attitude. A lot of the brands that do well on Twitter. So Twitter has not been as strong a platform for us and Pinterest, but we're, we're on Instagram and now we're on TikTok and I'm trying to get more on YouTube and Clubhouse. You mentioned yeah. Clubhouse. I'm, yeah. I need to, I need to get more into Clubhouse, but I am on Clubhouse. So it's not so much the message to me that's modernizing. It's how we, how we approach people, how we meet people, how we communicate in a language that they can connect with us. but the core authentic who are what our brand is, which is about the road trip that that's 
not changed. You know, and it's interesting, you, you mentioned sort of the teal roof, and that, that kind of reminds me of Howard Johnson's, and I wonder if this was deliberate, right? Howard Johnson's uh, always had that hunter orange roof mm-hmm. that you could see from a mile and a half away driving 70 miles an hour, right? And, and I wonder if, in Pyman, Yeah. When? Yeah, and I want was was that part was that was that the thinking behind the teal roof for Stuckey's as well? So I don't know if my grandfather was inspired by Howard Johnson's or not. I do know the genesis of the teal roof was when the interstate highway system came in, and suddenly the the roads that we had been located on. We were on Route 66 and the Lincoln Highway and the old Dixie Highway and some of these older interstate roads. And then the National Interstate Highway System, Eisenhower, starts that initiative in 1956. And so we're bypassing these state roads and these other roads that we were on. And we had to make a very strategic decision to survive. I say we like I was around then, but to survive, my grandfather had to make a move and he had to literally not only move how his his strategy was but he had to move his stores and so he used that as an opportunity to brand and before his stores had been sort of a mismatch of architectural styles and there was no consistency in the color he did have a consistent logo but he used the move as an opportunity to get a consistent color to get a consistent store design to get consistent motif so my father, for some reason, came up with a carriage design. I've told him I've, I've never been a fan of the carriage design because it does not speak to our brand. To me, it's kind of like this old South notation. So, th- so that I did dismiss with. And I called my dad and I said, no disrespect, but I'm doing away with carriage. And we put a, we put a cool little, I call it the happy car family image, and, which is an original advertising image of Stuckey's from, from the 60s. So I, it was a retro image, but it was more it was more aligned with our brand, but he had all these distinctive elements and that's when he put that blue teal color in. I do know he was friends with Howard Johnson's. No, I'm sorry. He was friends with uh, Kimmons Wilson, the founder of Holiday Inn. Okay. They were contemporaries. They were friends. They were on the interstate. It's quite possible that he knew Howard Johnson. I don't know that though. I did not find that in any of his paperwork. Yeah. Well, and, and Holiday Inn also has a, a trademark color scheme that makes it easy to see, yeah. right? You, you can't miss that yellow and green. Yeah. I think he was definitely inspired by them. I've not found any paperwork to, to confirm that. And I think he just came up with the blue because it was different. Nobody yeah. else was using it mm-hmm. and you could see it from far off. And then a lot of people did the yellow and red in their signage because of the visibility. That, so that you touched on problem. something that I want to, uh, I, I didn't think we'd be going in today. I hadn't thought of it, but now that you bring it up, I think it's really important. You know, as a, the the South, I think, is undergoing a difficult cultural and identity transition, right? Yeah. Um, as as the as the country comes to terms with reacquainting itself with its history, how we teach it, race relations, I think, are changing. Um, you know, certainly for them in the most radical way that I can remember, I was born in 1970. So I was after the civil rights movement. Um, 
you know, with Stuckey's being sort of an old school, old South brand, is that something that you've had to confront and really think about? How does it fit into, how does it fit into the millennial or post millennium vision of the South while still staying true to the core values? Is that something you've had to kind of wrestle with? And if so, how have you done that? Certainly. I think any Southern brand that's been around as long as we have has some racial history that you have to come to terms with and you have to address. And our history, just like our region, is messy and complicated when it comes to race. Yep. Stuckey's has an interesting story in that we were never segregated in a time when many places were, especially in the South. We never had a whites-only sign on anything. We were always mm-hmm. opening. My Good grandfather had a, a saying, every traveler is a friend. And so he wanted Stuckey's to be known as a hospitality brand, as a welcoming place. And that really reflected his core values. He was a Christian. He was very philanthropic. He was a quiet donor. He was not very flashy in how he contributed to different charities he supported. And in fact, I have yet to track down the actual people, but I do know from my aunt that my grandfather actually paid to have several African-Americans from our hometown go to college. Hmm. But I don't have any specific records. I don't have names. He did it quietly, but that just, I say that to reflect that's who he was. He was just a, a caring person. And so we were never segregated. And if you've seen the movie, the green book, there's actually a scene in the movie where they stop at a Stuckey's for Mm -hmm. that very reason that, that we were not segregated. And I do have a lot of African-Americans of a certain age who've told me that they remember stopping at Stuckey's and they also remember driving for long stretches and needing to stop. And their parents would say, we've got to wait for Stuckey's. We've got to wait for Stuckey's. And they said, well, we just thought our parents loved Stuckey's and they did. But he said, you know, one of the people told me, you know, they realized many years later, they had to stop at Stuckey's. That was the only place they could stop. So we've got that part of our history, but we also have a history where, frankly, we have sold Confederate flag memorabilia. Yep. We've sold, I'm not proud of it, but it's part of our past. We've sold some of those black mammies, little figurines. Yep. I've seen them in pictures of the stores. So I know that is part of our past. I I would like to think my grandfather didn't mean any ill by that, but that is what. Well, we you know, in, we don't in, sell in, it anymore. Yeah, of course you don't sell them anymore. And but like, I will say, when I took over the company, there were two stores that were selling Confederate flag stuff, and I hmm. stopped that. I said, "We will debrand you. Take that out of the store. That is not. That is not what we represent." This day and age. Yeah. And, and I just I would I just don't want to get in the whole debate. I recognize there are people out there who feel very strongly that this is heritage and I respect that. But I that doesn't mean we have to sell it in our souvenir store. You can buy that in a museum shop. But so I felt very strongly that we needed to 
really the for me it comes down to being hospitable are we offering products are we creating an experience that is going to be welcoming to everyone so if there is a product that we sell that is going to alienate people that is going to make people feel divided i don't want to sell it and i i get upset when i find out that our stores are selling trump stuff frankly that's what i've heard it's not not the other party, but Trump stuff. And I'm like, right. I don't want you selling Biden or Trump. Right. Don't sell it. Don't sell anything that divides people. Don't sell anything that antagonizes people. Don't. Even with my background in politics, I always struggled with being a consensus builder. Like that's what I wanted to be. And it was hard doing that in a highly charged partisan environment like Georgia politics. And so, yeah. I mean, some, someday, and you'll never have time for me to do this, but I would love to get your take on, 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 on politics generally, because I'm sure you have such an informed view, but, but yeah, I mean, I it makes no sense it. to align. I walked Sorry? away. I yeah. said, I did not run again. This was not, you know, I mean, no, no shame if you ran and got defeated, but I didn't get defeated. I left. Yeah. I, I did not seek reelection. I, I said, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think uh, I, there, there are a lot of people that are doing that. Um, but, but, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting how you bring that up because you really are sort of sticking your fork in a toaster. If you're going to, if you're going to turn your company into a political platform, aren't you? Yeah. Right. And especially now where things are so volatile, you know, you, you can easily see, you can easily see a scenario where you have customers in your parking lot fighting each other, right? Under the right, because right? we see that in our society. And that sounds very antithetical to the brand that, that, that you have, right? So why even, why even approach it? Right. Exactly. Be, but be I neutral. will say, I think there were some brands where that is entirely consistent with what they represent. And so some sure. brands, it's good to be edgy. It's good to be out there. I think of Nike doing the whole Colin Kaepernick yep. commercial. I think that was 100% aligned with what they represent. And so it works for them. Uh, that's not so much political, but it is something that was highly charged, right? That was for very sure. I thought it was very risky for Nike to do that. It was it was risky and it wasn't risky, you know, because I thought when it came out, I thought not only was it just a beautiful ad, it was so well done, but it was to me, it was just embracing their brand. And, you know, these people who are out there burning Nike sneakers, I thought, well, Nike's making money off of that because the people are out burning Nike sneakers for people who weren't wearing Nikes. <laughs> Those weren't their peeps. So they probably went out and bought some. They didn't have them. <laughs> so, well, and, and the data suggests you're right because their stock price did go up. So Yeah, it, it worked for their brand. So just know what your brand is. And if your brand is, your brand may be political. That may be 100% where you want to be. So go in on it. Uh, that's not us. And you, you also have to accept you cannot, and it's hard sometimes, especially like me having been in politics, a lot of times if you're in politics, you're a pleaser, you're a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. You can't be a people pleaser in branding. You cannot be all things to all people. What is your brand? We're a road trip brand. I, I talked to this guy about six months ago and he said, I'm not a road tripper. Tell me why I should stop at Stuckey's. 
I said, you shouldn't stop at Stucky's. <laughs> You're not our person. You're not. Right. I mean, I would love for you to try our product, but if you don't enjoy road tripping, we're really not your brand. Right. You have to uh, drive 30 miles to get to our store, right? Which is. We're on the interstate. And yes, we do. We are branching out. We are getting in more venues, but even though we're pushing the product and we're promoting the delicious pecan snacks and candies that we make, it's all wrapped up in the story of the road trip. So you know who know what your brand is and hunker down on that and don't don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to appeal to people that really aren't gonna connect with your brand. Not everyone's gonna like your brand. You know, if you're a t- if you hate sugar, if you hate candy, then I would never try to sell you a pecan log roll. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I mean a brand is about push brands don't work, right? Yes. Brand brand is a pull is a pull asset. And and you're rallying people to towards your banner for something, right? People who believe what you believe. You know, I'm a I'm uh I'm crazy a fan of Simon Sinek and all his thing about Star Wars. Oh my Wild. gosh. Yes. I love Simon Sinek. Yeah, well, you know, if you know him, you know, tell him I want him on the program, but nobody's nobody's oh, able to provide that yet. But um No, I'm just total fangirl. I watch his YouTube videos every morning. I've got a Cynic for video on Simon Sinek, Gary V. Yeah. I'm a big Oprah fan. Yeah. Uh, they all have just such great content that they put out. I listen to sort of an eclectic mix. I like Russell Brand. He's got sort of a philosophical side to him. But there's some really great people out there that give wonderful perspectives. But Simon, yeah, Simon Sinek, like the whole getting to the why. You know, businesses know what they do. A lot of times you may know how you do it, what your formula is, what your process is, but why are you doing it? So you walked in, you walked into that double wide trailer realized that you had a brand, maybe not a brand change, but certainly a brand rehabilitation or reinforcement to do. Yeah. Maybe that's a better way to put that's it. Situation. Um, what did that to-do list ultimately look like? What were, what were some of the, if you could boil it down, what are some of the key steps you had to take in order to do that? Well, you said it in the very beginning in the intro talking the the quote from Forbes about consistency. Branding is consistency. And I knew something about branding because I'd been in politics. And so you have to brand yourself. And I had a I had a brand that was my family. So in a way, it was easier for me because the brand was so personal to me. It was tied in with my own brand. So I had a good sense of what my brand was. And I understood the company. You know, I understood my grandfather and I knew the stories. I had great stories. And I had even more stories than I thought I had, had having mm-hmm. read all my grandfather's papers. So my playbook was really watching what Gary Vee advises you to do, which is every single day you get out there and you post on social media. It's just that consistency and it's the storytelling. And it's it's not just posting for post's sake. It's not just like, all right, I got to get something out there. It's got to have sticking power and it's got to have a higher purpose. It's not about selling a pecan log roll. It's about building a community and you're building a community around people that share an interest that you 
share. They care passionately about what you care about. I would rather have a small group of rabid fans that absolutely love our brand than a ton of people who buy our product because it's cheap or easy to get and they're not loyal. There's no sticking power there. So the way you get that rabid fan base is you share something in common. So I just started putting out there content that was long form narrative storytelling about what we believed in. And I wrote down our brand attributes and I made sure every time I did a post, it touched on those attributes and the attributes are family friendly, hospitable pecans. Cause we're all about the pecan, you know, Georgia grown pecans, that sense of place, small town, America road trips, vintage slash retro Americana, celebrating all things, small town America. So I kind of knew those themes. I had them written down. Sort of, I have this, I have this sheet. I have a visual, it's a diamond. And the different facets of the diamond have different words on them for the brand attributes. It's my brand diamond. You can use whatever works for you. But I look at that all the time. And I think, am I being brand forward? Am I, is this family friendly? Is this promoting the road trip? It's got to hit on some of those brands attributes and you just consistent you, you just it's a slog it is a slog every single person out there who's got a million followers they started with one and you know you just keep 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 at it somebody asked me yesterday because I they, I didn't know I was up this high but it's very gratifying they said I had 72,000 LinkedIn followers and when I started on LinkedIn I think I had a thousand which is a very respectable number to begin with. And that was sure. from being a state rep and being head of sustainability for state Atlanta, but I didn't have 72,000 and I didn't get 72,000 overnight. I got maybe a dozen a day, but you get a dozen a day over a couple of years. It adds up. You know, and, and this gets to a point that I, I think is important. I want to make sure that we get to, because I think, I think a common perception of, of, of changing or in your case, rehabilitating a brand, but in this case, isn't the, the, the difference is not material. And that is that, well, all you have to do is change your name or a logo or something. And therefore you have a brand change, right? And what, to me, what you're describing is exemplary of at least my view. And I, I may be completely, completely wrong, but in a way that's those are the two least important things, right? The brand is who you are every day and the brand is what you will do every day. And most importantly, and this is why I think it's so important, you, you know, we go back to, to phasing out or, or, or wiping out the kind of the, the, the Dixie, if you will, type memorabilia Dixie type products in your, your product yeah. line, you define yourself by what you won't do, right? You draw a line someplace. Sure. And and I think that's why there's a lot of cynicism, at least I sense cynicism, and I have cynicism about Facebook slash Meta's brand change, is that it occurred only be, only after Mark Zuckerberg had his rear end hauled before Congress to testify. And there started to be some talk about antitrust action, et cetera, you know, that it 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 it, it doesn't seem like there's a genuine change in the mission of the company. Um, but rather it's really just sort of a, sort of a coat of paint. 
whereas what you're doing is by getting out there and being the lead cheerleader from the brand and and I, I remember the stories. You know, I I didn't do the homework for this. That's why I had you on the program. I love the story about you going out to Arkansas and seeing a hole in the roof of one of your stores. Right as a CEO, I cannot imagine how that must have impacted you. Or on uh, on the Christmas rush, you're there with a picture of yourself on the line, packaging yeah. stuff. Right. I got so much grief from some of my team, though. They're like. Do you know how much it's costing us for these boxes to have a CEO on the lot? <laughs> well, but it costs, you know what? It costs you a lot more for people to want to buy Stucky's products and they can't get it. I like his branding too. It's like showing that we are rolling up our sleeves and it's all hands on yep. deck. And I absolutely needed to be there because we had to, we had to build a hundred boxes in a day and we did 120. Yeah. And I mean, and who doesn't love, I mean, you know, who, don't we all want to work for somebody that will get down in the trenches with us? Yes. Right? Not just so. telling us what to do from, from the corner office, but yeah, you know, geez, you know, we, I just got to get in there and do it. Right. And I think that, you know, what a boost for morale. I'll bet you probably got a lot of resumes from people after that. People just want to work for you because of that. I did actually. And we can't hire anyone because we don't have enough money. Right. <laughs> We are a scrappy, we are still a scrappy startup. I joke we're an 85-year-old startup. We are, and I think it's really good to have that edge to be in that hungry space, that startup space. I think there's something about it that really keeps you on your toes. But you're right about the logo. You can't just slap on a fresh coat of paint and say that's a new brand. But I do think one of the first things I did was. Uh, bring the logo back to our original logo. Okay. So, uh, but for me, that was an outward manifestation of an interchange. Yeah. So I think as long as what you're doing externally is reflective of an internal shift, then it makes sense to have that name change. It makes sense to have that new design work done. But it has to be, like you said, it has to be authentic. It, it, there has to be this message from the top that this is more than just we're changing the logo. So a lot of companies doing what you're doing, they bring in outside help, consultants and PR firms yeah. and branding experts and such. Did you avail yourself of that expertise as well? Or did you primarily make this an internal project? Both. So initially, and this is just me, and I don't want to, I don't want to give consultants a hard time because there's a lot of really good ones out there, but there are also a lot that frankly will take your money. Yep. And rack up those billable hours. They don't and, have clients; they have victims. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, they just and and so I'm not I'm not trying to say I didn't have good consultants because I think I did have some good help, but it did not make financial sense for us. We had a very small budget when I bought the company. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I said, we were six figures in debt. And the little bit of money we had available was money that I frankly had invested. When I bought the company, I negotiated to invest a very small amount in the company to have some upfront capital to, to brand and to also work on a strategic plan. And so I paid some consultants for that and they were good. Uh, but 
we had such small, we had such limited dollars and we ran through that money in a matter of months. And so then I had to figure out how to do it myself. And that's when I started watching Gary Vee and some of these other resources. And I think the lesson here is if you are small, if you are scrappy, don't think that you can't try it yourself because a lot of the stuff you really can do yourself, especially if you know your brand. Nobody knows, nobody knows the Stucky story better than I do, except my father and my aunt. No one. And so that puts me in a unique position. And so a lot of this stuff you can do yourself. I just think too often we think, oh, we've got to hire this digital firm to run these digital ads. And Lord knows I spent money on digital ads. And then I went online and watched a couple of YouTube videos and I do the ads myself. What I can't do is the creative design work. And I do have an excellent, I have two graphic designers who are amazing and I use them. And I do have a guy who helps me with copy, who's really, really good at helping me do the e-blast and he helps with speech writing. So I do have a very good uh, writer who supports me and we, we work really well together. We have similar styles, Um, but I cut back dramatically because I just didn't have the funding for it. So I still do it myself. We don't have a marketing firm. I'm talking with Stephanie Stuckey and the topic is, should I rebrand my company? Um, Uh, I have so many questions. We're not going to get to them all, and that, that's that's my loss. But a couple I want to get to before we let you get back to – hopefully you're not in a double-wide trailer anymore, but if you are, that's fine. Uh, but get back to your work home. day. I'm recovering from COVID. Yeah, okay. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah, you sound great. Three cases. Just I think Atlanta is super spiking right now. And that's oh, yeah, Atlanta for is. sure. Yeah. So, so how would you describe your your brand – resurrection or resuscitation effort do you think it's been successful is it still a work in process what how do you how you do you evaluate it at this point work in progress okay and i'm still figuring out how to evaluate it because obviously you want metrics our our my board especially wants metrics so i'm doing my best to hunker down and try to figure out what is the return on the investment that we have made with branding And I think sometimes that's hard because there's two ways. I mean, generating sales comes from branding and in part, and there's also just brand awareness and it's hard to measure sometimes that brand awareness piece. If you don't have the budget to go out and do some sort of market survey to say, what's your name recognition? We don't have that. We don't have that budget. So it's a work in progress and I'm still trying to, I think for me, what I really hope moving forward is, can I figure better, can I figure out better ways to measure? And we are measuring conversion rate and click rates and, you know, all of the typical things that people measure, but it's just, what is the value of people knowing your story? What is the value of people recognizing your name? Like that's, to me, that's, that's really hard to put in a, in a spreadsheet. It is. Um, Stephanie, you've been so um, not only generous with your time, but really generous with your, with your authenticity and, and, and revealing sort of 
the, the, the thought processes and, and emotional processes you've had to go through during this, this journey of yours. I'm sure there are questions that our listeners wish that I would have asked or wish that we would have spent more time on. We just didn't have the time. Um, if, if one of our listeners wants to follow up with you, is there a way to do, you know, would you be willing to share with you, share with them maybe some of your brand knowledge? And if so, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to send me an email. Uh, LinkedIn messages are sporadic for me. I do my best to answer them, but I get a lot of LinkedIn messages and quite a fair amount of it is just out and out solicitation. So sorting through all of the clutter to find the real genuine request to reach out to me is sometimes daunting when I'm running a company. But email, I get. And I look at and I respond. If it's if it's a pure solicitation and it's a service that is not aligned with me, I'll be honest, I've started hitting just the delete button because okay. I, I used to write polite replies and I realized I was literally spending 40 minutes a day writing polite replies to people who were offering services that we didn't need. Okay. So, if it's something aligned with our brand, I will forward along to the appropriate person. But if you're asking for advice, yes, I will respond. And it's sstuckey at stuckies.com. So S-S-T-U-C-K-E-Y at S-T-U-C-K-E-Y-S.com. And I can give that to you to put in your show notes. Great. That would be terrific. And you know, you're also on social media. And I, I would encourage our listeners, before you reach out to Stephanie, just simply watch what she does. Um, she's probably just going to tell you about what she's doing anyway, but you know, she sets a great example for how to reposition a brand, how to modernize a brand. And then if you still have questions, you know, go ahead and use it. And, and Stephanie's very generous with giving back to the community, but I would, I would encourage you to, to, to do that homework first. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. And I'd like to thank Stephanie Stuckey so much for sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also, check out my new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.